Welcome into AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent podcast and video dedicated to the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs, and just like last week, and just like we've done uh, with the Polish Joe episodes, that it went so long with Kurt, or about Kurt, that we had to break it up into two different parts. So if you heard last week, obviously you know what I'm doing here. I'm trying to make the smooth transition, because... Otherwise, it's it's just it's not going to sound good, right? And me and my professionalism, I try and make it sound good for you guys. So just want to say, again, thank you guys for everything that you're doing uh, for us. Just downloading and telling your friends and, you know, telling your, your you know, family and, and everybody that you know that are wrestling fans that love old school wrestling. Man, thank you guys for uh, believing in us and allowing us to, to come and do this because... This is something that if we didn't get the type of response that we get from you guys, we wouldn't even have the opportunity to do this. So I do want to thank you for that. I want to thank our sponsors, first of all. Got to mention our friends at Soda Stick. It's the place to go for your Minnesota sports-themed novelty t-shirts, hats, whatever you want. Uh, Whether it's the Vikings, the Timberwolves, the Twins, or the Wild, the Gophers, just whatever you want. Check out their website at sodastickco.com. Use the promo code UNLEASHED for 15% off. I've used it. It works. It's fantastic. Uh, and By the way, if you guys want AWA Unleashed swag, even just like a t-shirt, if you guys would rock the t-shirt, let me know. Uh, hit me up in the YouTube comments, uh, whether it's on the Facebook pages, whether it's uh, Mix. Uh, Slick Mick Old School Wrestling or George Shire Wrestling Time Machine or the American Wrestling Association. Or, you know, you, you want to hit me up on Twitter at CM Tubbs or at AWA Unleash, whatever. If you guys would rock that, let me know because we could possibly get something done, but only if you guys are really into it. Uh, so about, uh, you know, want to tell you that about Soda Stick. Also want a big shout out to Liftbridge Brewery, man. They are helping us go places and you guys are coming with us. They've got the official beer of AWA Unleashed. It is the best brewery with the best beer for the best fans. Check out their inventory for booze and swag. It's uh, liftbridgebrewery.com. And by the way, speaking of Liftbridge, on June 11th, we are going to be doing our very first live show, Saturday, June 11th, at Liftbridge Brewery. The tap room opens at noon. We are going to do our show at 2. It's going to be me, George, and Mick, live, in the flesh, in living color. If you want to come out and see us, let us know. Go ahead and uh, get the tickets because the tickets get you in to see us and also the stars of Midwest All-Star Wrestling. Thanks to uh, David and Eli and the whole crew over there for allowing us to uh, to come in and, and do kind of a pre-show for them. And, you know, it's just going to be a great day of wrestling and wrestling content. Because we're going to be telling stories, we got a Q and A. You know, we're going to be, you know, kissing babies and signing autographs and, you know, giving away stuff and you know trivia and just all all sorts of shenanigans. So again, check it out. We've got information is going to be on the bottom of the podcast as well. You can see the link on the uh, on the video stream, or you can go to the Facebook pages as well at Slick Mick Old School Wrestling, George Shire Wrestling Time Machine. That being said, enough of me. Let's get into the second part of Kurt Heading, where we hear about never forgetting the roots, attending Twin City indie shows regularly, the perfect persona, the video buildup vignettes, 
And then, um, of course, uh, Mick and George tell their memories of Kurt's memorial uh, and his dad, Larry. So a whole bunch coming up right here. Part two of our conversation about Kurt Heading. George, I, I we know about Kurt and his connection with Bobby Heenan. I mean, people see it in the you know, WWF at the time. I mean, it's really kind of where a lot of people uh, kind of really figured out that genuine, it seemed like there was a genuine chemistry between the two. But what was the relationship like before WWE? Was there a, uh, a strong connection between the two of them in the AWA? It's rather interesting because that's what I was going to allude to earlier. We had a, a taste of Bobby Heenan, <clears throat> managing, going to manage Kurt Hennig and, um, or, uh, you know, go after Kurt Hennig. And Larry got into it with Harley Race. Um, the, the actual match took place where Harley had come in. I got to get this right now. Harley had come into the AWA and Bobby was going to be his manager. And he had a match against Kurt Hennig. There you go. And what happened on TV was, as Bobby got involved and Harley was really kicking the crap out of, Larry, out of Larry's kid. And then Larry came into the ring and we were excited. I know I was. We were going to see the greatest AWA tag team of all time, Hennig and Race, go at each other. And Larry came out afterwards and delivered one of the greatest promos when he he was blasting Harley Race for coming after his kid, and I'm going to take care of you, Harley Race, and we're going to end this and blah, blah, blah. Well, what happened was is that behind the scenes, Vern and Harley weren't agreeing on what Harley was going to get paid. It came down to that. And Harley departed. Abruptly, the whole thing was over. And so then it was kind of interesting when, Bobby and, and uh, Kurt ended up in the WWF and Bobby was Kurt's uh, manager mm-hmm. and kind of came full circle because Bobby had actually briefly managed both Hennig and race previously in the AWA. But that was a feud that I wanted to see and it would have went over well. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anything would have went over well, it would have been a Hennig versus race feud. You could have had Kurt and Bobby involved in it, whatever you wanted would have been great. Did did you ever get the sense, George, that those guys wanted to, to have that feud, you know, leading up to it? Or was this one that, I mean, how did the, how did that come about? Like the, um, the potential teasing of, of that, was there a specific. Well, well, the key, the key thing to remember is that Kurt was still a baby face. Yes. And, okay. Here comes Bobby Heenan, who's going to manage Harley Race, who had come back to the AWA. And, of course, he was renowned as being a former NWA champion and, you know, obviously a former AWA tag team champion. But when he's plummeting Kurt Hennig on TV and Bobby Heenan gets involved, you know, there was nothing as far as Kurt being the babyface. There was nothing Larry Hennig could do but to come to save his boy. And that's where it happened. You know, Larry, I think played the part of, I don't know what's wrong with Harley race, what got into him, but he's not going to beat up on my son. That's what his interview was stating. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be beaten up on my kids. So Harley race, you got the, you got the ax and we had it. But like I say, behind the scenes, it was working out, you know, this was the program they were going to present to us. 
and Harley legitimately had a beef with Vern about what was promised. And you got to remember, we're looking at around uh, what 85, 86, whatever the time period was here, and things were falling apart. So mm-hmm. Harley left abruptly, and it was never mentioned again. Mick, tell me about the Robinsdale uh, bar brawl story. This is uh, this is a story that I got directly from Kurt. So of course, you know, you take it with a grain of salt. But then I had it verified by some people that were actually there. Uh, Kurt, you know, born and raised in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, as were so many of the guys, Rick Rude, Barry Darso, you know, you name it. But, you know, Kurt, Kurt was a kind of a regular at some of the local bars and clubs in the Robbinsdale area. So Kurt's telling me this story one time where I don't know if I, I believe Kurt was playing pool and there was some guy about. Six five six six three hundred pounds. I mean, this guy to, to hear Kurt describe it. The guy was a monster, and the guy is also in his cups. And he sees Kurt Hennig playing pool, and he's you know he wants to be a tough guy. He wants to go after a wrestler. So Kurt's kind of minding his own business as this guy's needling Kurt, needling, needling. Well, finally, you know, Kurt's had about enough of it. And they start a little push and shove. And people are kind of scattering in the bar a little bit. And Kurt suddenly realizes that even though this guy is in an inebriated state, this is a pretty tough guy. I don't know if he had any athletic background or what, but he was getting the best of Kurt. And apparently Kurt fell down like between a wall and a pool table. So you got to envision that and this. Goliath is on top of him, pound and pound and pound. And Kurt says to the guy, all right, enough. If you don't let me up, I am going to beat the shit out of you. All right. Well, for some reason, that resonated with the guy. He got up. He got off of Kurt. Kurt now freed up, proceeded to beat the shit out of the guy. So, (laughs) you know. Knows had had Kurt not used a little bit of a psychology there, or had the guy not been you know three sheets to the wind and and stayed on top of Kurt, Kurt may still be there. He may still be on yeah. the table in Robbinsdale. That's incredible. I did you get did you hear a lot of those stories about things like that happening with Kurt? Uh, a lot in terms of, of you know people wanting to challenge him because of the Hennig name, or I mean, did you? Is that something that was common back then, Matt? You know, we've talked about stuff like this before. That was, you know, Typical wrestlers, you know, typical wrestling fans when they had a couple too many. Uh, they saw a wrestler in a bar. They wanted a piece of them. They wanted to be the tough guy. Uh, unfortunately, in 99% of the cases, I'm sure it didn't work out so well. Mm-hmm. Kurt, I think, was probably one of the only guys that had to use psychology, you know, to extricate himself from that. But... Uh, it was commonplace. Everybody had that liquid courage back in the day. And and again, Kurt, Kurt was one of these guys, never forgot his roots. He yeah. would always see him at the local haunts, the independent wrestling shows. He was always there. So he was kind of a regular. He was a mainstay. And just one of those things. Liquid courage. I know we're going to get into the... Um into the Mr. Perfect era. And I definitely want to get your guys' takes on that in, in terms of the transformation and how that was presented and everything. Uh, but you mentioned Mick staying 
uh, staying true to who he was and going to these indie events, was he even, you know, after he was a well-known name, was he a regular at the indie shows? I mean, could he even go to a show and not get hounded by fans? You know, he really could. Uh, it, it was kind of a narrow scope, though. He would go to shows uh, that were held like maybe at the uh, the main event bar or, you know, something of, of that type. Uh, the local haunts kind of in the, the northwest suburbs, of the northeast suburbs, out in Fridley and what have you. But to the point about whether or not he forgot his roots, never. Kurt was always one of the boys that always had that connection with the Minnesota guys. I mentioned Dan Jesser as an example. Brad Rangins. Uh, you know, even Brock Lesnar, you know, Kurt's famous story about taking down Brock Lesnar at 30,000 feet or whatever. Um, Kurt maintained that loyalty even after he became the Mr. Perfect Superstar. He's one of those guys, never forgot where he came from, always maintained the friendships. Well, let, let's get into the Mr. Perfect persona, guys. And I know the Mr. Perfect thing it's particularly important to us here because a lot of the videos, to my understanding, were shot here in the Twin Cities. I mean, I, I know that, you know, I, I believe, you know, uh, one of the Timberwolves training facilities and uh, out at the old uh, Eden Prairie Winter Park where the Vikings were at. Uh, but just in terms of the way that they built up the transition from, you know, cool Kurt Henning and the heel to Mr. Perfect. Uh, George, I mean, kind of, I mean, give me your thoughts on that and just the, the lead up in the videos leading into that persona. You know, back when that was taking place, Chris and Mick, um, I was watching the WWF religiously at that point. I mean, still on board with them and looking at the creation of all their different characters and wrestlers that were coming in. And I was really enamored with the little vignettes that they started doing they brought Kurt in by showing that he was the perfect golfer, that he was the perfect bowler. I mean, they'd have him doing the hole-in-one. They'd have him doing a perfect bowling game. Mm -hmm. They had him uh, doing bow and arrow and hitting the target, you know, several times in a row. And uh, playing basketball. I remember there was one where he was going around the basketball court and, and one hoop right after the other. I mean, it's like he was a one-man team. And they had him playing baseball or softball. And the same thing, he was hitting the ball out of the park, no matter how many times the pitcher hit it to him. And they did this for a while to build up Mr. Perfect. They weren't really saying he was Kurt Hennig. It was Mr. Perfect. because. And then Kurt would come on with that smug look, you know, because I'm perfect. And... I remember thinking at the time that of all of the different characters, I mean, look at the smug look there. That's about the way it was. But Kurt would uh, be doing all these things. And when I think about what Vince McMahon was doing at the time with so many characters, I remember thinking like what he did with Rick Martell as the model. You know, I thought that was such a disaster. Or, or Steve Kern mm -hmm. as Skinner, some alligator guy. You know, and then they had Steve Austin as the ringmaster originally, and it bombed. Um, and, you know, could we forget Doink the Clown and stuff like this? But I thought, boy, when they come out with this Mr. Perfect, 
And Kurt was the absolute right person. You know, that's that old story. You're in the right place at the right time, mm-hmm. the right guy. It's like Ted DiBiase when he got dubbed the million dollar man. They say other people were thought about for the part, but I don't think anybody else could have played it. Yeah. Mr. Perfect played it Mr. Perfect well. Yeah, I wanted to follow up with you on on that, George. Do, do you feel like when he's in the AWA and then, you know, signs to WWF that Vince could look at him and say, this is the perfect wrestler. This is the perfect everything. I mean, would you get this? I mean, this is just strictly your opinion. Um, Do you feel like it was a gimmick that was made for Kurt or do you just feel like maybe the gimmick was there and Kurt just happened to slide right into it perfectly? No pun intended. I just realized that. I I actually think that it was a gimmick created for Kurt. I've never heard that Vince had ever considered anyone else. Whereas Million Dollar Man, we know there were talk of a couple of other guys, and DiBiase got it. With Kurt, um, I think it was created for him, and I think he, I don't think there was anybody else that could have pulled it off as well as he did. I also, despite the fact that Kurt probably had some injury issues, mm-hmm. I was. I was really of the belief at the time that perhaps they were going to push Kurt a lot farther up the ladder. He got the inter, uh, intercontinental title twice from the Texas toilet. I mean, the Texas tornado, Kerry uh, <laughs> oh. Von Eric. Wow, you're not a Kerry not a Von Eric fan? No, Well, no, no. Kerry uh, Von Eric, which they never referred to as Kerry Von Eric. But he got it from him a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And Kurt... Uh, Kurt was, he just fitted. I think if he wouldn't have been hurt, we don't know. He had great matches against Hogan. Whether or not mm-hmm. at that point in time he would have been the guy to take Hogan yeah. and become the WWF, I don't know. But I really think the plans were big for him. Uh, what do you remember at that Yeah, I, I, as far as the injuries were concerned, Kurt had a terrible series of back injuries. And he had to take a lot of time off. I know he had a Lloyd's of London policy. Yes. Uh, that pretty much, you know, you know, he got some steady income, but it kind of prevented him from being in the ring uh, for a while. But I, I would have to say to your point, Chris, about whether or not uh, the role was created for him or whether or not he slid into it or whatever, I don't think it makes any difference in the sense that Nobody could have done it better. And I think it speaks to not only his initial heel days in the AWA, because that's when he started to formulate this cocky attitude. But I don't remember anybody seriously in the business that made such a complete transformation from what he was when he started. You know, the the baby face with, you know, kind of a blah personality into this there it is. I mean, that was Mr. Perfect. He did it so well. George talked about all the vignettes with Steve Jordan of the Minnesota Vikings. And Kurt was great friends with Wade Boggs when they did those baseball vignettes. So Kurt was kind of a schmoozer in the athletic circles anyway. So I I think he just he was having so much fun with it. And it, it goes back to what I said early on. He embraced this character, this Mr. Perfect, and he fine-tuned it and he tweaked it. And I don't think there was anybody better 
in the 1980s, late 80s, early 90s in the business than Kurt Hennig. I just don't. I think he, he had everything. He bumped his ass off for everybody. If you watch some of his matches, well, no wonder this guy's got back issues. I mean, he was selling and bumping like a yo-yo all over the ring. And, you know, again, it's part of the legacy. What a body of work this guy left. You know, I'd point out too, Chris, that when you look at the talent that, that Kurt was able to go against, you know, he, with uh, Bret Hart and yeah. with Ric Flair, obviously were considered to be the best in the business at the time. And I think Kurt was above both of them. I really do. I think at, at the point of his, his Mr. Perfect persona, he was the best, honestly, the best wrestler, if you yeah. want to call wrestler. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if there was one guy, and this is fantasy now, that if we'd have went back 10, 15 years, and if there would have been a guy that could have pulled off the Mr. Perfect persona, mm-hmm. I think it would have been Nick Bockwinkle. He could have pulled that off if, if it had been that time frame. But obviously Nick was way, way out of the scene at that yeah. point. Kurt was perfect. It's That's all you can say. Was he... You guys saw him at the beginning of his run um, when he was a, you know, just the white meat baby face who everybody loved because his dad was extremely well known and, and successful. We're going to get into um, probably the, the toughest part of the entire conversation coming up. But to me, he made a very fantastic heel. But do you guys feel like he was better as the villain or you know, better as, as the good guy, which one of those fit him in terms of his personality, his attitude and how he was able to do it. Uh, which way, George, do you feel like he really did it better? Absolutely a heel. He nailed it. And it, it almost seemed like it was the real Kurt. Um, he just had the personality. He had the arrogance. He had the look, he had the strut, the cockiness, and he didn't have to do it. I mean, when he throw his towel up and spit his gum out and catch it, you know, what I mean? I, the guy just, he, he made you want to hate him. He was perfect as a heel. I agree a hundred percent. I think it, that's an absolute no brainer, Chris. I mean, you know, even when he was teaming up with Scott Hall, mm-hmm. Kurt was the worker of the two. Yeah. He could get in the ring and he could bump, but Scott Hall had that presence about him. So Kurt was kind of overshadowed, I think in a lot of respects by Scott Hall, um, but man, I, like George said, everything about that Mr. Perfect persona, and there, there's uh, Kurt and Scott again, everything about the Mr. Perfect persona, he fine-tuned with a fine-tooth comb, mm-hmm. and he put an edge to it, and he delivered, you know, George mentioned, you know, Nick as a possibility, you know, I'm not even sure that Nick 20 years, years earlier could have carried it. Kurt just evolved in the role of Mr. Perfect. And Larry would say he's the best in the world, you know, in my estimation. Yeah. He was right. He was. At the time, I'm telling you again, Kurt Hennig was, was it. He was the gold standard in wrestling. The funny thing about the whole Mr. Perfect thing, guys, is I remember when I saw the, the gimmick. You know, I'm a kid, and I'm thinking to myself, when he gets beat, is he no longer going to be Mr. Perfect? St. Paul Civic Center, he and Hulk Hogan main evented. And uh, Hogan beat him, and I'm like, well, guess what? He's not going to be Mr. Perfect anymore. Then the next Monday, or, you know, on like primetime wrestling before Monday Night Raw, I'm like, wait a minute. Hulk Hogan beat Mr. Perfect. He can't be perfect anymore. 
And I think that was part of it for me that I, I just, that's when I really kind of got it. And I'm like, okay, he doesn't have to have the unblemished record to be perfect. And I think that's when it kind of, that's when everything kind of came together for me. Well, first of all, I think it's a typical heel. Uh, you know, no matter what, all the braggadocio, you know, I'm perfect. I've got an unbeaten record. There's always an excuse. There's always some reason, whether it's a hometown referee or a fast count by the, you know, whatever, or the timekeeper is off, the heel always had an excuse. So uh, you know, I, I think Kurt's greatest line, of course, was when they would ask him, are you a good guy or a bad guy? And Kurt would say, I'm a great guy. Yes. <laughs> that that yeah. really said it all. Yeah. Uh, and, and the whole spitting of the gum. Oh, I've, done, I've tried that. It's not as easy as he made it look. No. no. I mean, you're like, and then I'd like pick it off the floor and I'd try and like do it again. I'd do it like three, four times until I got it. But yes. Wait, spit it out and bat it like a Spit it like out and bat it like you're a cat. Yeah, you're a cat yeah. playing with a with a, yeah. a piece of yarn or something. Well, what, what would happen? Did you have your cat at the time? What happens if the cat picks up the gum that you, you know, misfired on and choked on it? Oh, this was before I had the cat. Oh, all right. I got a little concerned. I mean, I didn't slap the cat. I, I slapped oh, the gum before I had the cat. You didn't throw the cat up in the air and then, you know. Okay, I no, I didn't throw the cat up in the air and slap the cat. Okay, I got it. I got uh, it. <laughs> uh, as, as we're getting ready to, to wrap it up here, guys, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, back <laughs> February 10th, 2003, um, 44 years old, I think just – weeks away from turning 45 um we lost kurt and i think it was a shock to to everybody um but i mean did you guys did you ever get the sense and i know you know he had been on the road with wwe you know for a significant amount of time so maybe you guys really didn't you know have the, the you know the daily contact with him that you once had but when you hear uh, about kurt's passing um, I mean, what's, what are you, what are you thinking? Why don't you just go ahead and start here, George? When I got the news, um, I think I took it very hard again, because I was so close to Larry over the years and, you know, obviously being AWA related. And I remember being very devastated about it. And the age 44 thing really hit home. The sad thing was, is that around that same time, um, as much as I hate to say this, we had started to, or I at least, had started to uh, get a regular diet of some of these guys passing yeah. at a young age. You know, It seemed like there was a lot in, the, in that period of time. It seemed like right. there was a lot in, in that yeah, a couple of years ago. Between, I between the very late 90s and the first half of 2000s, you know, it, it was a regular occurrence where one of the younger modern-day stars – were found dead in their hotel room or or whatever the case was. And um, it, it really hurt me with Kurt because um, I just, I remember how Larry took it. And Larry was in denial. <clears throat> I, I hate to say that. He was in denial. But it happened. And uh, it was, you know, between the steroids and, and the other substances that were being ingested during that time frame by so many of the boys, um, it just seemed inevitable that we were going to get another one and another one and another one. And we did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just literally there were there were a dozen of them very short period of time. 
Kurtz took me the toughest though, because he was local, uh, local hero. And I, I, I still don't believe it. I mean, now he'd be 60 some years old and he should be with us and telling stories. You know, Kurt to, uh, or uh, about Kurt back in the day, as you alluded to, this was a, it was an epidemic back then uh, between the steroids and what was happening to the guy's hearts, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, <clears throat> uh, some of the other substances that you mentioned, George, that they ingested. So many of those guys in their 30s and 40s that had no business passing away. I mean, let's be honest about it. And, you know, that's a whole other show as far as who do you blame? Do you blame the business? Do you blame life on the road? Do you blame the night after night, the uppers, the downers, um, the lifestyle, the partying, whatever? You can talk about it all you want, but it's a tragedy. And it, and unfortunately, it cast a really bad light on wrestling, which had problems of its own back then and always has had problems of its own. But the spotlight was on wrestling and not in a good way. As far as Kurt passing away, blew me away, just like you, George. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, oh, my God, not Kurt. You know, you figure, well, all these other guys... I are either smart enough or they were, yeah, I don't know, but yeah. just didn't believe that it could happen to Kurt Hennig. And again, I think Larry was in denial, just like George said. And, you, you know, kind of looking past the foibles of what the business could provide for you on the road. And, you know, in that sense, that I guess is the one area, and I pardon the pun, that Kurt was not perfect. You know, he fell into the lifestyle and the partying, and uh, ultimately, we all lost out uh, when we lost Kurt. You know, you know, the thing I would say about the lifestyles and the businesses that had changed so abruptly uh, during the 90s going forward, um, the, the substance abuse, the partying, these guys were on the road still, you know, so many nights a, a, a week, a month, away from their families. They were under a lot of stress. And I will forever believe that the, the business changed in the sense that every wrestler in the era that McMahon was promoting back then, every wrestler had to be six foot seven, 350 pounds, and built like the proverbial brick shithouse. And, and that was the look that was being challenged to these guys, whether it was directly told to them to do or whether it was they, they felt they had to do it to get a push. And that's the way the business had changed. You look at Mr. Perfect, and you look at Kurt Hennig, you know, two, three, four, five years before that, you got two different body, body styles. Kurt had built himself up. And whether it was real or whether it wasn't, that along with the drugs and, and the things that took place, it was a bad scene, and it was sad, very, very sad that so many fell into it, as Mick said, none of them intended to die. None yeah. of them were looking to die. They were all looking to just be the best they could and enjoy a little recreation when they got out of their matches to, to unwind. And unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way. You know, you got to remember, Chris, this is 1990s, like George was saying, and it wasn't just wrestling. I mean, we're, we're a wrestling podcast, but... There was stuff going on in all different kinds of professional sports, and it was kind of an yeah. age 
entitlement. And when you're on the road constantly and you got things being not handed to you, thrown at you, literally. Well, it's the same thing with rock bands and, and yeah. you yeah. know musicians and things like that. Yeah, I, I, a perfect example there. I, I that's uh, I, I appreciate that. But again, there was something kind of mind-boggling about Kurt. Maybe it was our connection with him or the connection with Larry, but there was a, a certain numbness and just not believing this mm-hmm. when we got the news that Kurt was gone. Well, and I mean, the thing is, if Kurt would have passed away when he was 65 or 70 or something like that, like or 80, you know, a normal like the wrestlers, yeah, it's sad we're, we're, we're heard about it, but you expect it. But yeah. when you're 44 uh, and some of the guys around him that were, you know, even younger than 44 and yeah. some of them a little bit older, we're all hearing about their hearts exploding and, and different things. I mean, it was just a, it was a tough time. It was a rough time for the business. And then, as Mick pointed out, the other sports as well. I mean, nothing was sacred. Look at baseball. They had the whole steroid scandal thing. And uh, it, it just it was a bad time, a bad time. Nick Bockwinkle used to tell me, he says, you know, in my era, we went, we wrestled. We got a loaf of bread and some beer, went back to the hotel and made a bologna sandwich and drank beer, got up the next morning, went to the next town, did the same thing. He says, now yeah. they're doing it different. <clears throat> so the the eulogy oh. and Larry at the service. Um, Mick, tell me, kind of give me your synopsis of just the difficult time that Larry had, especially at that service and, and giving the eulogy. The, the whole thing not only was horribly sad, Chris, it was surreal. Um, Larry had actually, Larry delivered the eulogy and there were actually uh, some hand uh, handouts with, with the printed eulogy. There's a, there's a, I love that shot of Larry kind of supervising Kurt's training uh, back in the day at the uh, at the gymnasium, but Larry was up there, and you know they're playing Kurt's theme song, you know before all this starts, you know the the Mr. Perfect theme, and Larry broke down, and it was so incredibly sad. Uh, some of the guys were there. I remember uh, seeing Brian Knobs and Shawn Michaels, and uh, you know wh- whoever else was there at the time, and I think Vince and Stephanie. And uh, Shane actually came in real briefly to pay tribute and then left. But Larry got out there and everybody kind of can identify with this. He said, no father should ever have to eulogize his son. And so unnecessary, but it was so emotional for everybody in the building to hear Larry talking about all of Kurt's accolades, and yet there was some bitterness. There was some bitterness because Larry felt that even though Kurt had attained this great level of success, Larry, for some reason, still was making reference to the fact, and he did this at the funeral, to the fact that some of the promoters did not treat Kurt as well as they should have. Uh, Larry basically was saying that, you know, Kurt was a stellar talent. The fans recognized it. The fellow wrestlers recognized it. But he said only 50% of the promoters recognized it and treated Kurt fairly. Mm -hmm. So 
I never got a chance to really talk with it, uh, talk with Larry about that at length. I don't know who he was referring to. I know a lot of times he talked about the WWE or WWF Ferris wheel, you know, how it made a stop and you got off and somebody else got on and you were kind of expendable. Uh, love that picture too. Talk about, you yeah. know, your son relationship. There's Larry and a very young Kurt Hennig, uh, you know, at, at the park playing ball. Uh, it was an emotional situation, and I felt very, very badly for Larry Hennig. And um, what can you say? Well, George, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, we're talking about the memorial, but it can't, it can't be easy, I'm sure, for something like this uh, to happen. And, and, you know, you mentioned the relationship and just how close they were. Um, and you, you, you were devastated and he was, you know, Larry kind of ended up being kind of a, a recluse after that. Did you ever get a chance to, to talk to Larry much about it after, you know, Kurt had passed? Back in, uh, 2012. So 10 years ago, um, that was the visit that I had talked about where I was at Larry's house. Um, we sat for, boy, I tell you a whole afternoon and uh, Larry opened up quite a bit, it, it, but everything he said, he, I could tell that he was bitter at how the business had changed from what he had been in himself. And that's another and great just, picture I love right there, George. That you yeah, I love that the whole, picture. I love the whole Hennig family. And, uh, you know, very, very appropriate. And, you know, Hennig and uh, Larry with Irene and the kids. But, but Larry was... I don't know that I would say he was bitter. He seemed like he was confused when he was trying to relay the story, that he, he didn't understand how his business was allowed to change the way it did, and it took his boy. Yeah. It was almost the way he put it. And like I say, I, I don't think Larry ever really wanted to acknowledge uh, to himself or was able to uh, exactly, you know, how it happened. I mean, that... <clears throat> In its own way, Kurt had a part in this, but none of it was intentional. It was sad, and uh, as Larry would talk, I mean, that's he he had a he had a photo album on the table that we were sitting at, and um, he was going through the photo album. You talk about young kid pictures and family pictures, and he was telling me some stories. You know, here here was Kurt when he played softball, and he would talk about. So he enjoyed that time, and I felt for the four or five hours that I was there, um, I almost felt like I was doing Larry a favor after I had left and got in the car and was, you know, kind of reminiscing on the conversation because mm -hmm. I felt like Larry felt like he, he was able to talk about it. I don't know if I was the first person he ever did that with. Mm -hmm. I'm not claiming that, but I felt that he, and then him and I, our, our friendship, even after that blossomed, like you wouldn't believe I talked to him regularly. And uh, but I, if I felt like he he needed that time to reflect on Kurt, Irene had brought some some uh, sandwiches into us and glasses <clears throat> of milk. And we just sat there and, and our sandwiches and our milk never got we weren't even eating it. We were just busy with his photo. Album. And then Larry would get up and he said, come on over here. And we'd walk into the living room and he had they had a, a very all the family pictures but he inevitably would say, here was Kurt in the third grade or something, you know, and it's like, 
my heart was just, I could tell. He As needed, a father, yeah. Yeah, and I could tell after I left, I really felt like Larry really needed to do that. And I, and I hope he had done it with others. I don't know if it was mm-hmm. just me, but that's my experience. It was a very emotional visit. And when I left, um, he walked me out to the car and he said, thanks a million for coming. You know, I re- he took me out to the dock in the backyard. We walked down to the lake where his, his place is. And he was showing me how him and Kurt would bring the boat in. I mean, it was a long visit. And he said, thank you to me. He says, thank you. It was, it was good having you here. So... I've, that was emotional for me. Yeah, uh, we've. Oh, go ahead, Nick. Because then I got one more question I want to ask. Besides the emotion of losing Kurt, and and uh, you know, as a son, and wrestling fans took a hit. Yeah, it took a major hit with when yeah. Kurt because again he was forty four years old at the time. Uh, I believe he was working for Impact Wrestling or, or some such uh, at the time. But Kurt would only be in his 60s now. Certainly he would be a commentator. He would be a promoter. He would be a manager. He would have some connection. He'd be with, on our show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. it, uh, so in that sense, we all really lost a lot when, when Kurt passed. And, uh, you know, from a friend standpoint, I will dearly miss the guy. So uh, not enough accolades in the world. Yeah. For we talked about Kurt as a wrestler as a son, as a tag team partner. But I think we also need to remember or acknowledge, I guess, maybe the fact that he had kids of his own and, yeah. and those kids lost their father at a very young age. They did. And, uh, you know, again, as I said, um, tragedy for everybody all the way around. Uh, Kurt was a larger-than-life presence. He was a great father, great family man. I'm in contact with uh, Lenise, his wife, uh, constantly on, uh, on Facebook. And just the stories that she tells about how not only she but the kids just idolized uh, Kurt Henning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is there a lesson here? You know, who cares? It is what it is. I yeah. mean, what eventually happened but the wrestling world for those years that we had Kurt Hannig we were the better for it no question about it I can hear the the music in in my head right now <laughs> uh, the Mr. Perfect which was Perfect. actually if you listen to the the theme song from the movie Exodus it's mm-hmm. very very close to that beginning overture and uh if ever anybody deserved the the nickname it it was Kurt I thought one of the most emotional things, too, was the night that I saw Larry at ringside for one of Joe Hennig's matches on an independent card that I was at. And Amy, his uh, Kurt's daughter, was also on the card that night. Larry was at ringside. He walked to the ring with Joe and sat in a ringside chair watching it. And after the match, Larry said to me, he said, I had to be here for Kurt. I mean, he took that wow. very seriously. And he was there, and he was a good grandpa, but, I mean, he, he said, I had to be here for Kurt. Mm-hmm. And uh, he thought, he thought Larry, you know, took up the torch. I mean, and I'm sure Lenise would say this as well. Um, they were very close with Irene and Larry. And uh, Larry felt that he had to carry the torch after, after uh, Kurt left. Mm-hmm. And he was very strong on Joe. 
very proud of Joe with his WWF stuff. Um, I think he exaggerated some of the stuff that uh, they allegedly were going to do with Curtis Angle, <laughs> but uh, he was proud that they were taking care of him. And, and he, he, he said, you know, Kurt would have been happy with this. So he always thought he was doing something for Kurt. And yeah. Kurt was perfect. Yeah, and of course we knew Joe was, uh, you know, Curtis Axel and and Axelmania. By the way, he still is, was uh, not eliminated in the Royal Rumble, just for the record. And let the record show that he still wasn't eliminated. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something in here too because this will save you a step here at the at the end of the show because Shire, in his wisdom, basically has given away four fifths of the trivia answer, uh, which was going to be about how many people in the Hennig family turned professional. Well, we gave you a bunch of them. Hey, and this just in, let me tell you something, Chasmo. There There, we go. There. There you go. Put it on my case. At at any rate, so we'll uh, we'll skip the trivia question for this week because the man doesn't listen, obviously. to. I never heard it. You never said it. But – you're having uh, another one of those know, busy and, and again, it's, it's it's there. Just yeah, just go ahead and throw it out there. Throw it out. I mean, I I put the graphic on there. So yeah, yeah. It, it's you know, Joe of course, and Amy uh, <laughs> Amy Hennig was a wrestler, and uh, Kurt, Larry, and Jesse Hennig. Uh, Jesse was Kurt's brother, and he got into the business for the proverbial cup of coffee. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, so you had five or six Hennigs that were in the business. And uh, Jesse Hennig, nice guy, but but sadly, Jesse just was not. So you're not going to do the trivia question, and everybody knows the answer. Yeah. So Congratulations send, to our send winner, Steve Mueller, a, a photo. Oh, dear God, you don't quit. Congratulations Anyways, to our winner, George George, George is going to win an autographed picture of Mick. No, George is going to win an autograph picture of George. If I get an autograph picture of him, I'm putting it up in the bathroom. I don't know why this man ever gets a microphone, ever gets any screen time, ever gets anything in your Marty O'Neill sunglasses. Go back to bed. Hey, if I could get this headset off, I'd come in and <laughs> right now. <laughs> Oh, I hey, that. shout outs, right? We're, we yeah, got let's, uh, yeah, let's do some shout outs before we uh, we wrap it up. Uh, Mick, go ahead and go first. I'm going to give a shout out to uh, a friend for probably 50, 60 years. I've known him since he was a kid, Larry Kellner. And Larry is such a fan of professional wrestling. His dad was an usher at the old Minneapolis Auditorium and uh, through – Larry and his dad, I was able to obtain all those great AWA sports facts from back in the day. Uh, Larry is such a loyal guy, loves wrestling, loves the old days. So, hello, the shout-out to Larry Kellner. All right, what do you got, Georgie? I like the name George, and I have a buddy named George Lentz. And absolutely, I've met George Lentz. He is a great historian. He's He was a great Crusher fan. He's done the Crusher's life results record. Phenomenal memory for Wisconsin wrestling and history. And I just wanted to give a shout out to him, thank him for his friendship and his devotion to uh, keeping history alive. So George Lentz, I love you, man. Thanks for and, uh, uh, watching our show. And mine's going to go to uh, Phil Wazowski, uh, at Phil Never Give Up on Twitter. Uh, big follower of uh, of ours and a big fan of the show. So 
Uh, thank you, Phil, as well. Thank you guys for supporting us and supporting the program. And I know one thing, guys, I, I know that, you know, we didn't talk about this, but it's kind of something that people are kind of wondering why we keep it less than an hour, um, you know, because of certain uh, streaming uh, restrictions that we got on certain platforms. But this one I could tell was going to go long. So we were going to do one. This has actually been broken up into two parts. So as we're seeing it, uh, this is dropping on um, April 26th. So the first episode was last week and uh, this week. So just wanted to uh, to thank everybody for their support. And, you know, we, we hear everything that you're saying. I uh, do want to tell you as well, again, thanks to our sponsor, uh, Soda Stick. Yes. Uh, one of our sponsors, really, Absolutely. really awesome. Um, I'll uh, put some information. Yeah, Mick's got the, uh, the uh, Met Center hat right there and uh, i've got the uh, hormel uh, wiener winner t-shirt and the hormel uh, row of fame right there from the metrodome uh if you're looking for any minnesota sports themed merchandise novelty t-shirts hats stickers whatever go to sodastickco.com use the promo code unleash 15 percent off i used it works like a charm you can support us you can support soda stick um if you're looking for awa unleashed merch just say like a t-shirt or something that's something that you guys would be interested uh, let us know in the YouTube comments. Let us know in the Facebook comments. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, a DM. Email George or Mick, DM Mick or George. Uh, just let us know kind of if this is something that you'd be interested in because we don't know what you guys are thinking uh, unless you tell us. Uh, Want to thank as well uh, our new, one of our newer sponsors, Lift Bridge Brewery, the official beer yes. of AWA Unleashed. I am drinking their uh, juice tea. Um, you can see right there. Come over to my place and come and get it. I mean, hey. Didn't even my share. Popeye needs a spinach. Open up your mouth, George. There we go. Uh, gold, I'm going to come gold, over gold, this gold. afternoon. I want a, I want a cold one. Chris, just one thing, because if I don't mention her, she'll kick the shit out of me. The shirt that I'm wearing is Princess Victoria. My good friend, Vicki Otis, one of the great lady wrestlers from the 1980s. I wanted to plug her. The uh, shirt. Yeah. And you wanted to plug her? Whoa. Plug her merchandise. Oh, yes. Okay. Wow. And I, I did want to mention the shirt that you got on, Chris. If ever, if ever a guy was a weedy winner, it's you. Hey, you know, good for lunch, good for dinner. I'm a Hormel wiener winner. Oh, Hormel God. row of fame. The old, uh, the old Metrodome. And uh, by the way, you can see right there, check us out. The very first show, thankful so much to Liftbridge Brewery for allowing us to come out before the Midwest All-Star Wrestling Show. Want to thank uh, David and Eli and everybody at Midwest All Pro, or Midwest uh, All-Star Wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they, are, they are letting us partner with them to uh, have an opportunity to tell the stories to the people in person. Uh, we're going to be out there uh, live before their show. Doors open up at noon. Live podcast at 2 o'clock. Come and say hi. Wrestling starts at 3.30. We're going to have a blast. So we've got a lot of things going on. Um, I know it's it's a lot of plugging and it's it's a lot of promoting, but we're in a position where we can give back to you guys. And I want to give back to you guys that have supported us. So if you can make it out there, by all means, let us know. And, you know, we'll, we'll give you the shout outs there. I mean, it's going to be Q&A. Uh, we're going to have some fun. We're going to give away some prizes, going to have some trivia. Um, I know we may have a couple interviews or two lined up that are, are currently being bantered about. So 
Uh, you guys, thank you so much. And, and I mean, we got a, we got a lot of stuff going on. We're in a position, guys, and I say this that not very many people um, get this opportunity and have the support that we do. And I feel like it's it's right for us to try and give back to to those people and our sponsors, including Liftbridge and uh, Soda Sticks. So I mean, would would you agree that here's a chance for us to kind of pay it forward back in the very short period of time that we've been doing this? No question about it. You know, uh, the fan loyalty is great. The sponsors have been tremendous. We love the interaction, not only on, on the Internet, but to go out there and do it in person is just terrific. And I would advise all the Chris Tubbs groupies uh, to probably get there early because there's going to be a lot of you, and that could be a security issue. We call them Rezats, brothers. Oh, yeah. Okay. The no, other thing, too, I want to put in a request that at the table, that whatever we're at, I want to be way over here, and I want Karch way over there. Maybe, Tubbs, you can be in the middle. I've done that before. It doesn't work. Monkey in the middle. Had to get that word in there, didn't you? I did. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a blast on June 11th. Run, don't walk to get your tickets. Well, there it was. One of the most fascinating conversations that we've had. And I don't know that we've had as many requests about somebody as we had about Kurt Hennig. And it was just so fascinating. And it got so deep, so quick, just in terms of of the depth of the relationships uh, that Mick and George, I realized, you know, probably about 30, 35 minutes into the, uh, the, um, the show that we were going to have to break it up into two. So uh, just a, a fascinating conversation about uh, Kurt Heading and, and just everything that he meant to the American Wrestling Association, just the legacy that he left, you know, in the ring, out of the ring, just it sucks that he's gone. It sucks that he's gone as a fan because, as George and Mick were saying, he'd be in his 60s and he would have so much to offer. It just, it's just so sad to think about that we lost him you know, 19 years ago. And um, his legacy lives on. A lot of people you know, remember him fondly for who he was and what he was. And, I mean, his you know, son and his daughter both wrestled. Of course, you know, you know, Joe as Curtis Axel in WWE, you know, I mean, that's just, I mean, that bloodline just has so much rich history. I mean, that family and the whole lineage of the Hennig bloodline just has so much prestige in this state. And it was just it was so fun to hear those stories and we're going to do a show down the road about Larry as well. I mean, we are definitely going to hit um, Larry Haddock. We're definitely going to cover him in length a little bit later on down the road. That'll do it for the Kurt episode. I want to thank our sponsors, Soda Stick. It's the place to go for your Minnesota sports theme novelty shirts, hats, whatever you want. You know, whether it's the Twins, the Vikings, the Timberwolves, the Wild, uh, check out their website at sodastickco.com. Use the promo code UNLEASHED for 15% off. You guys, I've used it. No shit. I've used it. It works. It's marvelous. And by the way, 
I mean, their stuff is like super comfy. You know, sometimes you get like these t-shirts and they're just kind of like, they're very stiff and, you know, they're just kind of, they kind of like scratch almost, right? These are so soft. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not like a smart person with like, uh, you know, fabrics and stuff, but I'm sitting here picking at my t-shirt right now and it's just, it's such a soft cottony t-shirt. I, I I love it. It's It's absolutely one of the most comfortable things that I've got. Talking about comfortable. I'm comfortable when I get a beer in my hand, and I'm especially comfortable when that beer is from Liftbridge Brewery because it has the official beer of AWA Unleashed. You see me drinking it during the show. I don't promote anything, and, and I don't put anything out there that I don't believe in myself. You guys, I'm telling you, this is the best beer from the best brewery, and it's for the best fans. Check out their inventory, booze, and swag at liftbridgebrewery.com. And I'll tell you how much that we believe in Liftbridge Brewery. We are actually partnering with Liftbridge Brewery and Midwest All-Star Wrestling on June 11th. If you want to see us do this thing live and in living color, as the kids would say, we are going to be at Liftbridge Brewing. Now, the tap room opens at noon in New Richmond, Wisconsin. Tap room opens at noon. We're going to kick off the show at 2. We're going to go, I don't know, maybe an hour or so. And then the stars of Midwest All-Star Wrestling are going to take over at 3.30. So we get to kind of you know, come in and do the uh, the pre-show and kind of you know, have some fun. We're going to tell some stories, you know, give some things away, play some games, have some interviews. Just a really good time. And we'd love to see guys out there. If you can make it. You know, we don't get very many of these opportunities to, to do these live shows. It's the first one. Let's make it pop, right? I mean, let's get this thing over, as they say in the wrestling business. And if you guys can make it, man, let's do it. Let's have a big old party on a Saturday afternoon, right? Let's celebrate wrestling. Let's celebrate old school wrestling. And then let's celebrate the new stars of Midwest All-Star Wrestling. So we got a lot of things planned, you guys. And again, ticket information, it's on uh, it's on the website at uh, Facebook, you know, uh, Slick Mick, Old School Wrestling, Um George Wrestling, George Wrestling, George Shire Wrestling Time Machine, and uh, American Wrestling Association. So it's just, it's going to be so much fun, you guys. And, and I'm just, I'm excited because it's an opportunity for us to give back to you guys. Because we've only been doing this for like, what, four months or so. And the reaction that we have gotten and the feedback that we have gotten has been absolutely incredible. And here's a chance for uh, for us to pay it forward to you guys so come on out say hi let's have some fun that'll do it for uh, this episode of AWA Unleashed for my boys McCarch, George Shire I'm Chris Tubbs till next week so long everybody